0: i came along to the alpha course a few years ago on the last evening during worship i found myself slowly lifting my arms succumbing to god's call on my life my hands began to shake it felt like electricity was flowing through my body and i later realized that it was the holy spirit my friend who has seen me on this journey looked to me and i remember him saying it looked like i was filled with pure joy i couldn't stop smiling my heart had an overwhelming longing for god it's remarkable because earlier that year i was living a very different life filled with drugs and partying then i hit rock bottom after four days of binging on cocaine and mdma i ran out of money i couldn't pay rent i couldn't buy food no one was there to bail me out it really hit me in the face i just wept for three days sipping on relish bottles of vodka in utter despair of what my life had become god truly transformed my life I don't have to strive anymore because my heart has been realigned to worship a God that satisfies me more than the drugs ever did.
1: Good to see you. If you're new here, my name's Joel and uh, we're going through the book of Exodus this autumn at PACE and we've got to chapter 32. What is it that makes us do things that are the opposite of what we say we are going to do. We are in a part of the story where God's people, who he has rescued out of slavery in a heroic and dramatic way, make some commitments to him. It's, it's really set out almost like a wedding ceremony. Uh, God speaks to them in, in chapter 19 and 20 about the relationship that he wants to have with them. And uh, you, you know, maybe in a, a powerful love story where a heroic uh, groom, you know, a husband, uh, rescues a damsel, rescues a, a bride-to-be and uh, brings her to himself and they end up getting married. If it's a good enough story, you end up hoping and dreaming for their relationship, that they will live happily ever after and you would have thought it would be very much that way they've been rescued from the most oppressive ugly uh, regime of slavery by an amazingly gracious kind merciful God and he says this is how I want us to work together this is how I want it to be and they even say in chapter 19 with with full enthusiasm all these things we will do that's how the wedding day goes. It's, it's a, a day for big, tear-felt uh, confessions of love and uh, cherishing of one another. And yeah, we, 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 we're so excited. We want to be faithful to you. And then we get to chapter 32 and a description of what transpires afterwards. Let's, let's just read the first few verses of chapter 32 together now.
2: and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play.
1: So you've got to understand that this this is bold rebellion. These people have gone nuclear. Uh, They have gone for (laughs) an offence, which is pretty high up on the top 10. It's, it's a bit like going to a wedding day and, and after all that emotion, after all that sense of excitement and romance and this was meant to be and happily ever after, the bride uh, drives off with the best man. It's that grotesque. It's that ridiculous. Within a few weeks, these people are worshipping a gold cow, now that, that's that's the kind of thing that the Ten Commandments were kind of, kind of prohibiting. And then, actually, what what is alluded to in a kind of, you know, it's a sort of subtle way that it sort of by innuendo suggests that something's going on in verse 6. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. It doesn't mean they rose up to play Frisbee or something. It means that they they rose up to carnal playing. It means means sexual promiscuity. It means orgies, basically. So you kind of got a vivid demonstration of a dramatic swing in their attitudes away from this expression of devotion to extreme unfaithfulness. And the rest of the chapter, which we've not time for, goes through the, the reaction in, in the, the heart of God, the way that God responds, the way that God feels effectively in, in response to the, the terrible, casual, it seems, act of uh, unfaithfulness from the people. And it's, it's, it's worth understanding that this kind of idolatry, that's the word for it, when pe- people worship idols, worship false gods, a you know, golden cow, it's got all kinds of pagan connotations, perhaps even occultic, Effectively, it's like an evil power has crept in and seduced them away from their dreamy husband. It it really is foul. It's it's a a hideous and ugly moment in the story the Bible tells us. And we need to understand it. We we need to get to grips with what, what is going on here. Why does this happen? Why do they take this crazy decision? We need to get underneath the skin of it because the Bible tells us very explicitly that these stories are given for our sake. These very stories are given so that we, you and I, in the 21st century, would be wise to the dangers our souls face, our our hearts are faced by. What, What are the things that you and I will potentially be challenged by as we go through the journey of life? Making commitments, saying, This is what I want to do, this is how I want to live, I want to be faithful to you, I want to be committed to this person or that thing or this this goal in my life, and then realizing some time down the track that everything that we aspired to has has deluded us because it's just it 's nothing like what we we set out to do we 've ended up in a completely different place, and a, a, in often times a, a horrible place, a dark place that we would never have intended. So this story should should get our attention, and it, it seems a bit obscure, you know, worshipping a cow, that's not particularly a temptation of mine, I don't know about you, I don't find my New Year's resolutions it features very high, you know, this year I'm not going to worship a cow, and then by mid-February it's, ah, oh, did it again, what am I going to learn? Uh, that's not been my issue, uh, but nevertheless, my heart is being described in this very story, my heart is, and we need to understand our hearts. That's what the Bible consistently teaches. Let's look at this. I want to draw out a few things that we need to learn from this very story. First of all, let's face the reality that our hearts constantly worship. Our hearts constantly worship. Do you know that your, your heart is a place of worship? I sometimes think, you know, in the, old, in, in the days before the internet, we had the yellow pages. Some of you are old enough to remember them. And they would have a section in it called places of worship which was like a page long maybe or half a page long places you know religious buildings but you could have actually put that on the front cover places of worship because everywhere is every place is every person is and one of the things we've we've struggled with during covid is is we don't get to worship we don't get to be together to worship we don't get to sing together in worship And that is a big deal. No doubt about it. That is a genuine concern that we have. And we're praying that it will come to an end very soon. But make no mistake, you have not stopped worshipping during COVID. Certain expressions of worship have changed, but you are worshipping now. You're always worshipping. You're born worshipping. You can't not worship any more than you cannot breathe. It's part of being human. Because what you're always doing as a human being is constructing your your life, your reality, even your imagination around the highest priority. That thing which shapes you the most, that thing that you build your life on, that thing that drives you, that motivates you, that thing that you want, that you desire, that you love the most, is really what you worship. Really, worship in the end could be exchanged as a word for the word love. That would be a, a way of understanding it. What is it you desire? What is it that you love and long for the most? And when we read the story, we get a a helpful demonstration of how religion and love are not always the same thing. Their their religion was expressed in chapter 19 when they said, all these things we will do. We will do anything you command. Their love, their hearts are demonstrated in in chapter 32. Their, Their hearts are far from God. We can kid ourselves with religion without realising that really it's all about what we ultimately desire. What is it we ultimately love? This is what God wants to know. And We might be fascinated by things, trinkets, bits of creation that are gifts to be sure, delightful things. There's nothing wrong with gold, nothing wrong with cows. There's nothing wrong with the things that we enjoy and treasure and delight in this life. There's nothing wrong with Netflix. There's nothing wrong with with all kinds of the things that during COVID especially we've kind of leaned on for our comfort and delight. But you know the difference between those things being enjoyed as gifts from the God that you love the most and those things replacing the God that you love the most. They can be very apparently innocent things. But when those things lean over into becoming the most influential principles in your life... Leading you in a direction that, in your conscience, you know isn't right. Well, friend, it's become an idol. It's become a golden calf. This is one of the reasons this story is here for us. What is is the thing your heart goes back to without you trying? What's the the screensaver of your life? Where do you find yourself drifting to when you're not trying? Tells us something about ourselves when we know that. So there's there's something. Our hearts are always worshipping. What else? Our hearts tend to lead the rest of us. Our hearts tend to lead even our minds. Our our hearts will direct our thoughts and imaginations, often way, way more than we realise, way more than we're honestly prepared to accept. That's why this story is almost comical in how grotesque it is. That you've got Aaron, the, the high priest, this, this this great leader of Israel's people, Moses' spokesman. He's kind of second only to Moses. And he brings out this gold cow and says to the whole community, This is your God. This is the one. I mean, uh, this thing that they melted down their earrings for, he's saying, This is the thing that split the seas a few days ago and got you out of slavery. This is the thing that, that polished off pharaoh's chariots and horses and riders. It's, it's utterly absurd, and yet the nation is prepared to go along with the absurdity. How can that be? Why are there not more people scratching their heads and saying, hang on, the emperor's got no clue. This is, this, is, this is actually our jewellery right there. That's our earrings. That right there, but what, are you, what are you talking about, Aaron? And yet... Go along because the heart leads the mind, leads the reason. We like to imagine ourselves, especially us modern Western people, as, as you know, ever so reasonable, led by good science and good logic. And you know, we're, we're, We've got excellent... You know, we are led as a society by cold logic. Uh, we need to face the reality, friends. That's, that's never been our human story. We're led by our hearts. We're led by desires that will, in, in fact, control our logic very often. They will shape our logic, they will shape our imagination, they will shape our awareness, even of ourselves. You know, I came across some research just this last week, that makes the point quite well. In in, in America, a study uh, which was conducted amongst uh, uh, college professors, 94% of American college professors believe that their performance was better than average. 94%, you know, I'm better than most. Interesting. You, know, the math, you have to be a math professor to know that that doesn't really work. And then actually from high school students, this is from a survey of 1 million high school students, 70, 70% believed that they were doing better than average students. Only 2% thought they were doing worse than average. And then you think about the way they further research shows how they believed they were doing in their relationships and how they were doing, in, you know, in terms of treating other people. 60% thought that they were in the top 10% in terms of relating to other people. 60%. 25% believe they were in the top 1%. Our, our awareness of ourselves, of our, our hearts, our desires, our our performance can be massively deceiving. We, we let our imaginations run and we don't quite realise we're doing it. And we can, we can imagine that we're doing something even that's very innocent. We can imagine that we're in a wonderful place and not be at all aware of realities, cold realities, sometimes perhaps because they're realities we don't particularly find comforting. We don't, we don't want to face them. And that can happen on a massive scale. Here it seems to happen to a whole nation and Aaron brings out a, a golden calf saying, this is the Lord. The nation's prepared to go along with the fiction. And we do this in all kinds of ways. You, you, you find yourself doing it in the way you even perhaps approach the God of the Bible. We, we, as, as people who might even call ourselves Christians, maybe you're, you're someone who takes the Bible seriously or, or you, you, you like to think you do, but don't you find the temptation to, to kind of just kind of sandpaper down the the corners of the God that we have in this book to sort of, yeah, I don't really like that bit. I'm not sure that my God is like that. I I prefer to think of God like this, and I'm not really sure I like that bit of this God. I I don't like that God. you, You end up gradually filing away until you end up with a golden calf, you know, and you, you, kind of try and have a relationship with the God that you imagined and made up, you know, I, I, you end up with a God that's sort of barely recognizable compared to the, the raw, real God of the Bible that Jesus preached and Jesus presents to us, and try to have a relationship with that God. You might even imagine you've got a wonderful relationship with this God, but it's, it's not, it's not, it's a made up God. It's not real. You're, you're relating to something in your imagination, an invisible friend. The God of the Bible, the real living God, will sometimes be uncomfortable, sometimes say things we can't understand and we, we don't want to understand. But we, we need to face the reality that our wisdom needs to yield to his wisdom. Our understanding needs to yield to his revelation God how do you want to be help me to to build my understanding my imagination around the truth that's revealed in scripture help me to not form a different useless God in my image come back to the real God not the one that I mean Aaron's hilarious later on in the chapter we didn't get to it but he says to Moses when Moses says what what is going on with this golden cow? And, and Aaron says, well, we just got all the gold and we threw it in the fire and out came this cow. I mean, it's just, it's one of the funniest verses in the Bible. That's the, the degree to which our delusion can go. The Bible's trying to draw our attention to the power of the heart to distort our thinking. Don't be, don't be naive about this when it comes to relating to the real God. Often, this is the way people go in life. It's the reason that people end up in bed with the wrong person or you know, find themselves on the wrong website, find themselves doing stuff that, how did I get here? The reason you got it is because your heart craves things that your mind makes space for. Your mind gives rationale for. Your mind, oh, you're, you, know, you, you should be allowed to do this. And it's, you're not going too far. And this is, you're not as bad as that person. And there's all kinds of ways we can rationalise it. But we're really being deceived. And so there are two things that we need to see. We're constantly worshipping and our hearts draw our minds. Let me just say thirdly as well, key part of this story. Our hearts are revealed by trying seasons. Seasons of trial reveal the heart. See, these people, it's, it's important to know, have been waiting for Moses for 40 days. Moses is up the mountain for a certain period of time without them. He's, he's having a special one-to-one with God. They are at the foot of the mountain and there's a certain sense I'm sure of God being somewhat absent. Moses is their, their mediator at this day. He's the one that walks most closely with God. He's been there. The way they've got to know God has been mostly through him. He's, he's not there now and so this season does feel particularly trying. It's, it's confusing. It's hard for them to understand and We need to see when we read the Bible that there's a pattern there. God will do this deliberately in our lives. He'll take us into seasons. Sometimes they will seem like they last forever. Forty days is quite specific. Some of them are that long. Some of them are much longer. Some of them are shorter. But particular moments of temptation and trial are part of the package of what it means to get to know the real God. When he seems to hide himself, he's doing it for a reason. It's very explicit in the story of one of the the kings of Judah later on in 2 Chronicles. It says the Lord left him to test him to see what was in his heart. Have you ever felt like God's doing that in your life? (laughs) Tell you what, I have felt that this year as much as I've ever felt it. Isn't that how it feels during COVID for many of us? The Lord's just left us (laughs) to see what's in our heart, to try our hearts. Many of us, we, we go through times where someone like a Moses is taken away from us. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's our parents. Maybe you're a, an undergrad, you started at university and you're, you're from a Christian home and your parents love Jesus and you're not around your parents now. And it's like, I, I don't have that presence of influence. And yet the Lord's watching your heart now. The Lord's seeing what's in your heart. It's not, this isn't an irrelevant season, my friend. See what God is doing now. See the trial you're going through. Some of us, it is gathered worship. You think, I can't imagine having a relationship with God without the songs and the gathering and the communion. And friends, I know that's, you're you're half right. Because absolutely, we're meant to worship God together. Absolutely, we're meant to have the sacrament. Absolutely. But have you thought that this is a season where God is watching to see our hearts? Watching to see how we yearn for him, even in the secret place, even in the quiet waiting place. And it is a wait, isn't it? It's taking so long. Friends, how are you handling this season when God's testing to see where do your hearts go? What do you crave? Where do you reach out for comfort? Is, is it just entertainment? Are you just tempted at least to, to numb things through entertainment, through various pleasures, Don't forget what I said. In themselves, not wrong, but easily they become replacements. Where's your heart going? Where does it return to? See the season that God puts you through and be wise about it. What is it that you want? What is it you worship? And when I say it's the living God that you must learn to love and desire above all things, I know for, for me, when I read this sort of story... I can miss the point a bit. Listen, this is really important. I'm going to finish with this. Listen carefully. Because I want you to see that God's revealed in all the pages of this book. But you need to see what he's trying to reveal about himself. See, it's a scary chapter. If you read to the end, it's, it's dark. These people are punished. God does feel hurt in a sense. Like hurt is hardly the right word. God is, God's, yearning for purity from his bride, who he's rescued from slavery. This is a deeply hurt bridegroom, let's say. How does he respond ultimately? Is he the kind of God that just lashes out? Is he the kind of God that doesn't care? Imagine that. Imagine if the bridegroom saw his bride you know, just uh, going off into the sunset with the best man and just thought, oh, well, never mind. I'll find someone else for next week. We'll be back here next week. Someone else, I'll marry the bridesmaid. You would think he was a a callous lunatic. No, of course he's going to be devastated by the unfaithfulness. How does this God deal with the unfaithfulness? I was thinking, how can I help you see this this week? Because we've got to see it. Maybe the best way to see it is to see how, when it comes to facing the trial... When it comes to facing the temptation, God himself has done it for us. See, when God became a man, when God came into the world, he did it for me and you. He he, he did it literally queuing up for baptism. Maybe you know the story. When John the Baptist was baptising people in the River Jordan, You've got people, you know, you've got, I don't know, adulterers, swindlers, uh, pimps, prostitutes, and and then all the kind of more sort of low-grade sinners like the rest of us who think we're better and therefore are worse. And Jesus queued up with us. He got baptised with us. His cousin, John the Baptist, says, I can't do this. You've done nothing wrong. Jesus says, no, no, no. It's, it's It's for this very reason that I've come. I'm going to identify with you. I'm going to step down into this world. I'm going to carry the burden of the shame with you. I'm going to go down into the filthy water. And this same Jesus, then he goes into 40 days in the desert to be tested. And just like these people, he gets tempted to worship a false god. He gets told, if you worship, if you bow down and worship... Everything will go right. I'll give you everything you want. The problem is when it comes to what he wants, what Jesus wants is all he wants, all he lives for, all he rejoices in is his father. He loves him purely and he obeys his father, not because I, oh, I just have to. I hate him, but I have to do what he says. Oh, I so want to obey Satan, but I have to obey my father because oh, just I'm lumbered. No, no, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. He delights in his father. Why? Because he knows him. He knows how good he is. Do you know what you need, friends? Ultimately, to resist idolatry. Ultimately, to get through seasons of testing and temptation. Ultimately, to have a wise mind and imagination that doesn't doesn't fall into the disarray of self-deception. What you need is to see for yourself the beauty, the kindness, the loveliness of Jesus. This one who became one of us, who freely gave everything for us. And whereas our story is a story of failure, a story of idolatry, a story of worshipping creation instead of the creator, and feeding on that which isn't ours to have because we've got distorted taste buds and ugly appetites. His story is one of being utterly satisfied with God the Father. And You need to know this because you'll never really learn to love a God who is only a judge. You'll never really desire him and delight in a God who is just a consuming fire, and that's all. You need to see the God who became one of us so that he could face the consuming fire, so that he could absorb the fire, the judgment that we deserve, so that he could enter into our shame and our guilt and happily, gladly, smilingly redeem us, rescue us, draw us out of the grime of our stains and our sin. This is why the Bible talks about Jesus as good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, our saviour. We confess that our hearts are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. Here's our hearts, Lord. Take and seal them. Seal them for your throne above. Lord, help us to learn faithfulness as we see the beauty and the worth and kindness of your love.